Well, howdy. howdy. Welcome back to 2019. Are you ready? It is going to be a phenomenal, phenomenal year. I hope you are ready for everything that God is going to be doing coming up. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm peeking a little bit. I've been having some mic issues, so I'm going to have to change the mics here in a little bit. I am so excited about this semester, and, uh, and I love what Tyler even said as he was praying, which was, I, I want this to be an anthem for us, that we would say to Jesus, I'm going to follow you anywhere this year. I want to follow you anywhere this semester. And I, I love the new year because it is oftentimes that we set up the new you. It's an opportunity to figure out what do I want to do this semester? What do I want my life to be like this semester? And if I was to take a look at college students, generally speaking, to think back when I was in college, when I think about the new year, I think there's probably about three major themes that New Year's resolutions in a new year fall into. Are you New Year's resolution people? Anyone have a New Year resolution? Okay. Uh, the rest of you. Okay. Well, you at least have of aspirations that we fall into. The first aspiration is basically this. It's one of productivity, that we would be somehow more productive this next year, that we would do more of the right things this year. And so this is you in your dorm. I'm sorry. I'm I always wanted a handheld. Okay, so we're going with this one. Um, so this may be a new year. It's going to be one of productivity. And so you're already thinking about, okay, this is my class schedule. This is um, when I'm going to do dishes. This is when I'm going to do laundry. This is when I'm going to go to the grocery store. Like, I have all of this planned out, and this year will be productive you this year. For others of you, it's not productivity. It's one of personal fitness, right? Um, these were supposed to be gifts, and they're not, like, gifting for me. Um, and so there, it goes weak muscle to strong muscle to weak muscle to strong muscle. And so th- some of you want to get skinnier. Some of you want to get bigger. Uh, that's you. And for others of you, it's not either of those. It's not in, in physical health. It's not eating better, getting better, uh, more fit. Um, it may be this. You want to find love. And uh, I wish this was so, it's supposed to be giffy. <laughs> she throws his heart onto the ground and then jumps on top of it. And, uh. And I just thought that was beautiful. I wanted to share that with you. Uh, and, and that's you. You're like, okay, this is the year. Like, that was my heart last semester, and this is the new year where I want to find love. I want to build better relationships. I want to have that moment. And so for others of you, it's like, I wanna, it's, it's about productivity, or maybe it's about may, maybe finding a way to get more physically healthy, or thirdly, I want to find better, more meaningful relationships. Um, and the, and the truth is, we, we all want something to go better this next year. We're hoping, as you think about last semester, you're like, okay, I'm going to study better. I'm going to do more. And everyone in the new year wants to make New Year's resolutions. Inc.com did some research on this, and they found their top 10 New Year's resolutions for success and happiness in 2019. And they looked something like this. Diet, exercise, lose weight. There's a category for you. Save, uh, save more, spend less. And your college students, you're just like, <laughs> there's such a thing as money? Like, that would be phenomenal. So that's probably not yours. Uh, learn a new skill or hobby. Quit smoking. Uh, read more. Find another job or find a job. That may be maybe you. Drink less alcohol. Maybe that's you too. Spend more time with family and friends. But, but regardless of what it is, the new year is an opportunity to do something new. It is an opportunity to start over. And that's what I love about the new year. And and that's what I love about a new semester. There is an opportunity to engage in some new things, but what is it for you? In that moment where we're trying to figure out what we are going to do this next year, what do I want my life to be about? Jesus actually speaks into that. 
And so if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to join with us into, into Matthew chapter 10. And Jesus speaks into a new opportunity for his disciples. Matthew chapter 10. I'm going to read the context a little bit in verses, verses, one, in verses 1 and 2. And then I'm going to jump over to verse 24 to give us the crux of what I want to talk about and where I think Jesus wants for us this semester. He says this in verse 10, it says, or chapter 10, verse 1. He says, and he called to him his 12 disciples, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Now the names of the 12 apostles were first Simon, um, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. And he goes and lists the 12 disciples, and he gives them instructions. I want you to go to be a part of the mission that I have in the world. Job wrote verse 24, he warns them about this mission. He says this, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple to be like his teacher, and a servant to be like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak into the light. And jump down to verse 38 and 39. It says, and whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake find it. I love these words of Jesus because it's really a, a, a setting of a new opportunity for the disciples. See, the disciples have been following Jesus for a while and they've been, they've been watching him do all sorts of amazing miracles. And Jesus kind of pulls them aside for a moment and says, okay, we're about to enter into new territory. And I want to tell you something. You can enter into this new territory differently. You can have a new way to engage with the world and engage in this mission. And I want to open it up for you. I want to talk to you about discipleship. I want to talk to you about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And and Jesus really lines out, hey, this is what it looks like to be a disciple. This is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And And you may have heard that word before. What does it mean to be a disciple? And I think if I was to pull the audience, there'd be a variety of definitions, but I would simply say it's this. It's someone that pursues Jesus with their whole heart. A disciple is this someone that pursues Jesus with their whole heart. Next semester, it would be, if you want to follow Jesus, it would simply be this, that I would follow Jesus with my whole heart this semester. And there's three pieces to discipleship in this first message I want to give you. We're going to do two weeks on discipleship, and this is the, the three pieces I want to give you. The first thing is this, if you want to be a disciple of Christ, it means this, you have a new pursuit Secondly, it means that you have a new priority. And thirdly, it means ultimately you're building a new life. The first thing that Jesus lines out in this section is this, the new pursuit. Verse 24 says this, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and his servant to be like his master. Now, if they called the master of the house Beelzebul, which means Satan or devil or literally Lord of the flies, how much more will they malign those of his household? And right there, he gives the parameters of the pursuit. He says, this is what it looks like to be my disciple. This is what it looks like to follow me. It means this. 
It means that you look at me and you become like me. And here's the truth. Who you surround yourself is what eventually you will be like. Two quotes on this. One from Mark Ambrose. He says this, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Who you surround yourself with greatly affects you. And a second quote from Jim Rohn, he says this, you become like the five people you spend the most time with, so choose carefully. Now, I was reading another article, and they talked about that quote. It's like, really, a person is like the five people they spend their time with? Is that actually true? And, and they did a study on it. And they looked at people, and, and they looked at the average weight, the average income, and, and the average uh, trajectory of a person's life, looked at, uh, determined by the people they surround themselves with. And here's what was fascinating. What they found is it's not true that the five people you surround yourself with affect your life. It's actually much broader than that. Your friends' friends have a direct effect on your weight and your income. Like, what? Who my friends hang out with? And they're like, all of these people that you surround yourself with ultimately shape what you will be like. And the truth is this, we are are incredible. And so if you want to be my disciple, if you want to follow me, what it means is this, that you become like me. See, the goal of Christianity, the goal of the whole thing is this, that we would grow to become more like Jesus. That you would look more like Jesus as you grow in your life and you follow Jesus. More and more people would look at you and say, it seems like they look more and more like, I don't know, the king of the universe. Like I, it's, it's just weird to think about it that way. But Jesus says, look, if I'm your teacher and you're following me, eventually you should look more like me. But there's a second reality Jesus lays out in this section with this new pursuit. He says, you'll encounter resistance. He says, look, and if they call the teacher Beelzebul, they'll call you the same. He says, there's going to be resistance in this pursuit. There's going to be people that push against you. And, And in context, what's happening is Jesus had literally healed a person. And the the Jewish leader said, Jesus healed him by the power of the devil. They literally called Jesus Satan. He says, look, if they're going to call me something like that, listen, if you want to be my disciple and you want to be like me, you're going to encounter opposition. There will be resistance. And the truth is this. If you want to follow Jesus deeply this semester, if you want him to be a priority, that you become more like Jesus, there'll be resistance around you. And that will come internally. Like there will be internal resistance. I, I was reading a book um, a couple years ago called uh, The War of Art. And in that book, The War of Art, there's a chapter called The Resistance. And they basically say this. Everyone has resistance to the work. The way it typically comes across in my life and probably in your life is in one simple word. It's called Procrastination. It means I'll wait to see what happens. Like I'll, I'll push off that exam. I'll push off that to study for that exam. I'll push off that paper to prepare that paper. I will, I will procrastinate and eventually get there. And Jesus says, yeah, that is a tension with us. But it goes even beyond that. There will be people that speak against you. There will be people that pull you away from pursuing me. I remember when I first started trying to walk with Christ in college, I encountered that with the friends that were around me. 
I remember where I came back one summer and I was like, okay, I really want to walk with God this year. I really want to walk with Christ this semester. And I remember walking back into some old relationships that I had and they literally said this, oh yeah, that's Kevin. He's into his Christian thing. And I realized right there in that moment that there will be a resistance and maybe it won't be as bad as that they're calling you Satan. That would be rough. (laughs) But there will be a resistance in friends. And so that's why Jesus goes on to say, not only is there first a new pursuit, secondly, there's got to be a new priority to your life. He says this in verse 26. He says, so have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you into the dark, say into the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And I want you to notice the repeated phrase that he says. Verse 26, have no fear of them. Verse 28, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And are not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not. Therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my father in heaven. There's a, there's a phrase that he repeats over and over and over again in this section. There's a new priority that Jesus wants to have in us in discipleship, and it's this. It's fearless living. Jesus, I want you to follow me. I want you to prioritize following me over all else. This is what it really means to be a disciple. And here's what that looks like. Here's what that priority, here's how it plays out. There is a fearlessness in you. And I don't know what you want this semester. I don't know what you want in your life, but I promise you, this is probably one of them. Like, you want to have a fearlessness, a boldness in you, a willingness to, to overcome obstacles, to overcome challenges, to do more than, than, than what you have done in the past. You want a fearlessness. And Jesus says, I'm telling you how to get fearless living. And it's not by pursuing whatever you want. It's by pursuing me. And he says this, here's how you get fearless living. Verse 26, no that everything spoken will come to light. He says, how do I live fearlessly? First, it's this. Know that everything spoken will come to light. Every opposition you face will be judged at some point. Everything that everyone says against you and against Jesus will eventually be brought to Jesus at some point. See, there is nothing that's in the dark that will not be exposed. Secondly, he says this. I'm bigger than them. Like that's exactly what he says in verse 28. Verse 28, he says this. Do not fear those who can kill the body and cannot kill the soul. He says that rather fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. He says, look, don't be afraid of the opposition that comes against you. Here's what you should actually be afraid of. The one who can control everything. Now, I don't know about you. But when I think about fearless living, I don't really think about God in that category, right? <laughs> like, I don't think of, of, of him as, as being so powerful as to destroy the people that are against me. But he, what he's not saying is, look, I'm going to do that. That's not his point. He's saying, look, you fear someone that doesn't have ultimate control over you. You fear someone that really has no power when you're talking about it in cosmic proportions, you fear someone, the worst that someone can do to you is kill you. And let's just be honest, if, if I was to say that, hey, hey, what's the worst they can do? The, the worst they, 
you'd be like, Kevin, that sounds pretty bad. Like, that sounds like a reason not to do whatever it is you're asking me to do. But, but Jesus is really unconcerned with that reasoning. He goes, look, don't worry. The worst they can do is kill you. Jesus, um, I hear what you're saying, but I'd like to live a little bit longer than 20. You know, I got some aspirations. I've got some things I want to do. It'd be great if. And he goes, yeah, I, but I'm just telling you, instead of fearing people. I want you to live under the fear of God. Because here's what happens when you only fear people. You never live fearlessly and you never live in freedom. Because there will always be some other person you are trying to woo and believe in you and give you opportunities and you'll end up placating every other person in life and you'll never be free. You'll never be fearless. And so he says, I want you to look at the heavenly father who controls everything so you can live free. I am in control of them. And then he goes on to say, not only am I in control of everything, I'm bigger than the biggest problems you're facing. I want you to see a third piece to fearless living. And it's this, that I care for you more than you can ever imagine. Verse 29 says it this way. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are numbered. Some of you, it's much harder than others. Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. He says, you know why you can have fearless living? He's like, look, God's going to expose everything. I'm bigger than your biggest problems. And thirdly, I care more about you than you realize. There is not one bird that dies and falls to the ground that I don't know about. Some of you went hunting over the break and you killed ducks. God knew every duck that you killed. (laughs) And the reason God knows that is because God, life and death and life and death that goes through, and he knows the life and death of every single organism in the system he created. And he knows you and he loves you and he cares for you. So why can you live fearlessly? Because you know that the creator of everything that is powerful enough to control everything knows and loves you. He knows details about you that you don't know about yourself. He knows deep desires within you that you don't know that you even have. He knows the future that you most need and and he wants you to most have. He has it laid out for you. He knows how many hairs are on your head. You have no idea how many hairs are on your head. But God does. He loves you more than you can ever imagine. So you can trust him. You can live fearlessly because he cares. And secondly, so you can live a focused life. He says, I want you a new priority that you have a fearless living because you're following me and you have a focus in that. And he says this, what I whisper to you in the dark, you proclaim. You know how you hear a whisper? You gotta be close. I have a three-year-old daughter. Her name is Juliet and she is a hot mess. 
we have videos of her saying that. So Juliet, what are you? I'm a hot mess. Because if you walk up to my daughter, the littlest one, uh, she will say that to you. Julia, what are you? And she'll say, I'm a hot mess. She points her fingers. She's hilarious. And then every now and then, she'll woo me over to herself. She goes, Daddy, I have a secret. And I'm like, okay, babe, what, what, what do you need? And she goes, and so I lean my ear over, and she whispers into my ear, Daddy's the best. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> your just heart melts, right? You're just like, oh. And then she adds on, and Mama the best, and Peyton the best, and these are all my children, uh, not Mama, but, <laughs> but Peyton the best, and Micah the best, and Jesse the best. And I go, Juju, you are the best. And what she whispers, I declare at Southwood College, right? What I, and I'll tell you what, what you, what I want to be about this year is being close enough to Jesus that I can hear his whispers, that I can be close enough to Jesus that I know what he is saying and where he is guiding and I trust him and I know him and I can fearlessly pursue him so that I can declare what he's saying. So that I can know what he wants and I can speak that out, that I would be in line with his design. I would be in line with what he's doing in the world and I could be close enough to hear and speak. And so what that means is I've got to prioritize my time with Jesus. It means I got to prioritize listening and learning and absorbing what he's speaking so that I can live fearless and free, that I could be focused in what he is calling us to do. And thirdly, that I would have a new Pursuit, I would have a new priority. And thirdly, that I would ultimately live a new life. See, the truth is this. What Jesus isn't calling you to is some resolution that will enhance the life that you're already living. See, resolutions, the new year, are primarily resolutions to enhance the life I'm currently living. How can I enjoy my life a little better by being a little healthier? How can I enjoy my life a little better, a little more by being more productive? But Jesus, actually, his call to discipleship is not about merely enhancing the life that you're living. It's about calling us to live an entirely new life. There's a book I was reading over the break um, called The Last Arrow by Arnold McManus, and he says this. If you want a different life... You have to give up the one you have. So let that sink for a second. If you want a different life, you have to give up the one you have. There are things, even people, you have to leave behind if you're going to keep moving forward. What's wonderful is that you never have to leave people behind whom you love and who are for you. But quite often, the resources and the people in the past provide... um, the material to build life in the future, but you have to leave behind those things you love, keep you trapped in the past and would rob you of the future that God has for you. He says, if you really want to live a new life that Christ has for you, it requires us to give up the life we have. And that's exactly what Jesus says in verse 34. He says, do not think that I've come to bring peace on earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. What? For I've come to set man against his father and daughter against mother and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. 
Whoever loves his father or mother even more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He says the challenge, the big challenge of this new life I'm calling you to is this. There will be opposition not only from external relationships, there will be opposition from some of your closest relationships. And what Jesus is saying is not that you need to hate your mom or dad or your sisters or brothers. That's not what he's saying. He's saying this. In priority, in preference, you have to put me above all else. You have to literally take up your cross. And and Jesus wasn't talking about the cross that he later took up. He was actually referring specifically to just the general Roman persecution. Now, it would be played out in his life later on, but his disciples didn't know that yet. But he was saying, this, this is a public display, a public identification that you have to be embracing and a part of. And I'll tell you what, that public identification, that public embrace of the cross will make life awkward for you. But that's the new life I'm calling you to. That you would be people that prioritize, pursue me above everything else. And I'll tell you what, this will be awkward, and it is so awkward. It's not just a change in circumstances. You're not turning over a new leaf. You are choosing to live a new life. And Jesus, that is his call for us. That we would give up everything to pursue him. And that is a hefty, heavy, amazing, beautiful call. Because if you really want to experience the life that Jesus has for you, you have to give up the life you've been pursuing. If you want to experience all that Christ has, you have to take a new step and move to him and let him lead you. And it is difficult but it is the best that you could do. But I want to peel back the curtain on this a little bit. Kevin, that's a hard call. That's a big call. Yeah, it's, it's everything. Yeah, it's big. It's big. It's, it's a huge call. And not one of his disciples got it right. Peter's going to deny him three times, right? All of them are going to abandon him once Jesus is taken away. Not one of the disciples got it right. And the truth is this. It is a lifetime pursuit to giving up more apony and pursuing more of him. The call of discipleship cannot happen over a Sunday morning. But it is a lifetime pursuit. But it is one that will be awkward. And I'm calling us to engage in this this semester, that this would be our priority, that we would be disciples of Christ and we would follow him with our whole heart. And it is difficult to to describe it. I brought a hoverboard. My children uh, got gifts over the break, which means that daddy got gifts over the break. And this is called a hoverboard. Oh my gosh, is it broken? Okay, it's working. Okay, okay. Now, you've probably seen these um, cool students riding them around the campus. And, uh, and, and I'll tell you what um, I learned quickly on the hoverboard. Once you step on it, it goes. All right? So, like, if you step too far back, it's going to go backward. If you step too far forward, it's going to go forward. And it's going to beep at you because it hates you. 
And, and what I learned on this is that if, if, if I tried to go halfway, I always end up disappointed. I always end up like on my butt or I end up not able to go on it. Like if I go halfway, like if I try to just kind of lukewarm my way into life on the hoverboard, like I'm going to eat it and y'all will have a good laugh and I will have a lot of pain. But what I discovered, it took some time, was that if I put all my weight ooh, on it, and if I trust this board with my life, well, here's what I realized. One, everything I knew about walking goes out the window. Everything I even knew about standing goes about the, out the window. In fact, everything I've ever known about any normal interaction goes out the window. But here's what I did realize, and I know y'all are looking for me to fall. Here's what I did realize. If I learned how this board wanted me to interact, and if I learned how this board wanted me to maneuver, and if I learned a new way of living, and a new way of interacting, and a new way of leaning onto this board, what I realized is that it could be pretty fun. And what I realized is that I could go around the block with my kids and have a great time if I learned to leverage my life differently. When it comes to discipleship, let me tell you this. We will all take spills along the way. And it will be awkward at first. But as you lean in to what Jesus has for you, to this new life, It will produce more joy and more fun and will be more engaging than anything else you can pursue in life. And I'm telling you that because that's my story. It was in college that I put Christ first in my life. It was in college that I began walking with him for the first time. And it was in college that I began seeing if my life is lived pursuing him above all else, that is where most joy and meaning can be found. And that is the life I want to call us into this semester. To pursue him, to prioritize him, and let him slowly build into us a new life to be his disciples. And pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. And I thank you so much that your call on our lives is not for an easy life, it's not for a simple life, but it is one that is most fulfilling when we give everything to you. And Lord, I know there are so many challenges that are ahead of us. There are so many resistances around us. There are so many reasons we could point to to say, I'm not sure that I'm willing, ready or willing to give everything. And Lord, I pray that over this semester, as we unpack what it means to be your disciple, that we would be people that, that really become disciples, that prioritize and pursue you above all else. And Lord, that's nothing that I can create. There's nothing that I can do. We need your spirit to open our hearts and minds to guide us. So I pray that your spirit would, would make our hearts alive, that we would be ones that are drawn close to you, so that ultimately we might reflect your glory in this world. So near me pray, amen.